Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Okay, this is going to be part of a regeneration series. Um, I mean, literally regenerative, and I hate to say regenerative medicine, because medicine is generally a pharmaceutically controlled industry that offers a chemical to change a physiology. But let's look at hip dysfunction, the ignored causes. But i got I got a saying for you. Uh, quote, what we learn from studying history is that we do not learn from studying history. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So we're going to go over hip pain, hip replacement, bursitis, tendonitis, neuropathy, everything. Now, all this will be put on our um, on our Dr. B VIP, um, and it's going to be, a, you know, the censored portion uh, is dramatic on this one, but we are going to put the regular version tonight up on Facebook and YouTube uh, as long as they let it allow us um, because we do have a censorship board that's forming. Uh, we're also going to be putting this on, on Library, Odyssey, Rumble, BitChute. Oh, come on, man. Let's keep getting this information out there. And Extreme Health Academy, I encourage you to join that group. They are amazing. And you're going to find some solutions to real health challenges. Um, that book, The Real Anthony Fauci, it's 27 hours if you get it on audiobook, but it will make sense to you. It's like, why has America's health been declining for the last half century? Because uh, the only suggestions that medical doctors give are a pharmaceutical approach. Um, uh, and that's a chemical a pill for the ill. There's no investigation in the medication side effects, multiple polypharmacy or multiple drugs, no investigation into vaccine side effects, uh, censorship of science. You've really got to read that book. So let's look at it. There's three major ignored causes of hip dysfunction. One, compromised nerves in the spine, so neurogenic. Uh, that means the nerves. Vascular, that means that the blood supply, blood isn't healthy or the blood supply is compromised. And that's sedentary lifestyle, pelvic problems. And mechanical, mechanical distortions of the lumbar, the pelvis, the lower leg, extremity, everything. So we've got neurogenic, vascular, and mechanical. Um, now I'm going to go through a number of pictures and realize that degeneration Hip degeneration is not from wear and tear. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, we've got patients that are professional athletes in their 50s and 60s that have this super high-level athletic training. We're talking running backs. We're talking all sorts of football players. And some of them have joints, not a stitch of arthritis. So it's not joints do not wear down if they're functioning correctly. You need movement, mechanical, nerve supply, and blood supply, and that's the key. And I'm going to show you how to look through an x-ray, and that's, that's going to be the key. Because when we talk about um, what an x-ray looks like, like what, what it actually is, um, you're looking at a shadow of, um, of uh, structures. And it's hugely important because when... People will say, look, it's bone on bone. It's bone on bone. If you've heard that before, I'm telling you, and if you're able to walk, if you're able to sit down, 
Um, so that means that hip can bend to 90 degrees. Even if you're walking in pain, it still can move to 90 degrees. So it's not going to be bone on bone. And there's always going to be a thin layer of cells there that you can regenerate. Um, so we're going to go over a couple of x-rays and how to read the x-rays. Um, but realize, now this is out of Health Day News, quote, the number of hip replacements performed in the United States has increased substantially and the procedures become more um, common in young people. In 2000 to 2010, now this was 12 years ago, you're looking at 138,000 in 2000, you're looking at 310,000 in 2010. So that's a 224% increase. Now, does that mean that, that in that 10 years that there was a lot more hip damage? Or was there more drug use, more sedentary lifestyles? Um, when we look at the 45 to 54 age range, that increased 205%. Now, the author of this article goes on to state most hip replacements are in middle-aged patients due to degenerative arthritis. And he says caused by wear and tear. So the high numbers of active people translate into more arthritis. Thus, number of patients who are appropriate candidates for hip replacements as the younger age grows. Um, that's ridiculous. Uh, if we were um, wearing out our joints, that means the less movement we do, the longer we would survive. That's insane. Um, <laughs> we're looking at a 37% increase in hip replacements since 2004, uh, knee replacements 53% increase, um, hip replacements 600,000 hip replacements, and 1.4 million knee replacements. So this is insane. Now, hip replacements or prosthesis um, in hip um, problems result in 37,000 failures a year, and that's minimum. Um, so we're, really when you're looking at this, it's not you just put replace the hip joint and you're fine. You're putting a foreign metal object in your body that the body can have a negative response to. Now you've got to attach this foreign metal object okay, to living tissue. And this is why. It's called hip revision therapy. Um, it's a potential comorbid condition with a two- to three-fold higher risk of mortality and major complications than the primary total hip replacement. So going in there and doing it again uh, puts your life at risk. Now, it's interesting because there's no national journal, uh, national uh, total joint replacement registry in the, in the U.S. So all these statistics are just um, guesses. Uh, the American Joint Replacement Registry, okay, they expanded in 2015 and increased enrollment for, to like 600 hospitals. But even they say that there's a 102% increase in joint replacements. Now, if you have joint pain and you have a doctor that recommends Advil, Motrin, Aleve, Tylenol, um, Tylenol is in a different class because nobody knows how that one works, but it has a similar effect as non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Now, these decrease cartilage production and inhibits proteoglycan production, the building block of cartilage, and causes accelerated bone destruction. Now, this is the American Journal of Medicine. Okay, now just think of that. 
So if your doctor is prescribing a drug that destroys your joint cartilage, it literally guaranteeing, and this isn't just, it doesn't just go to the joint that has some hip damage or hip pain. It goes to all the joints in the body. So you're taking a chemical that alters how your body reproduces tissue. And in, in, in addition, you know, the Tylenol increases asthma risk about 500%, dulled emotional responses, so there's psychiatric problems with this. I mean, there is a lot, a lot of problems uh, associated with um, drugging symptoms. Now, the hip is not in an isolated environment. The hip joint, okay, is literally inside of the pelvis. Now, you've got the leg bone, that's the femur. It attaches here. So anything that destabilizes the pelvis is going to destabilize that, um, that hip. It's going to cause the altered mechanics. Because remember, you've got neurologic, vascular, and mechanical. Those are the three causes of hip issues. So if you're sitting a lot, you're sitting on the butt bone, and that's called the ischial tube. And that's going to start to destabilize the pelvis. Now, since the leg bone, that hip joint, is inside of the pelvis, this is hugely important for autonomic function. So the hip is only the alarm. I've never seen a hip has the only problem in the body. Hip pain, and you might say, well, you know, I, I just, my hip hurts, but I'm fine, I'm healthy. Okay, great. How many bowel movements a day do you get? Are you getting two to three bowel movements a day? Are you sleeping through the night, waking up refreshed? Um, do you have good skin issue, positive mental attitude? Do you have bunion formation, yes or no? All of these are clues to what hip dysfunction can cause in the body. So we've got to look at pelvic stability. Because if you're sitting down a lot, that pelvis, there's no muscle that crosses the back half of that joint. So we've got to get that area working correctly. Now, autonomic dysfunction, and this is huge. You have got an automatic nervous system in two parts. One part keeps you alive under stress, and that's called the sympathetic or fight or flight. The other part regenerates tissue, and that's the parasympathetic. Now, the tissue regeneration occurs in the neck and the low back, and that's the pelvis area. So if you have, and, and I'm going to start from the bottom, bunion formation, knee issues, hip issues, I guarantee you when you're walking, you're not walking clear. You're going to walk with an abnormal gait. If you're walking with an abnormal gait, that can destabilize the pelvis. Destabilizing the pelvis is going to affect how you regenerate tissue, how you adapt to the environment. This is why when somebody comes in with back pain, neck pain, and they say, oh, yeah, you know, I've got, um, you know, some bowel issues, or they just have back pain, neck pain, I say, look, man, take off your shoes. If you see a bunion formation in there, that's a long-term compromise to the foot. That means their gait's off. That means their sleep pattern's off. So everything has to, you've got to look at the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, key to getting people better. Now, the nerves that come out of the, the entire system and literally, if you um, could take away all the flesh and you only had the nerves to see, you could still recognize the person you're looking at because every part of the body has this nerve system. Some of it's sensory, where it sends information in. Some of it's motor, where it controls movement. But these nerves supply everywhere. So when we're looking at hip joint, 
a lot of times the hip might not be the primary source. So if you say, yeah, my hip pain is right here, and you touch the side of your leg, and then you bring it down, that is not the hip joint. Okay, hip joint, hip pain is local. And if you're thinking that it radiates down, then that's going to be from a nerve compromised, and typically a nerve in the spine or some other type of compromised. Now, a lot of people will look at hips and say, oh, it's piriformis syndrome. Okay, now piriformis is a muscle that rotates the hip. And it does cross the hip joint, but it crosses the hip joint in front of the joint, not behind the joint. So when you're looking at piriformis, if that muscle is tight all the time, that's because it's trying to literally pull that joint back together. So if you notice know anyone who's suffering from piriformis syndrome, and piriformis is a muscle that runs really close to the sciatic nerve. In some really weird congenital anomalies, um, the, the sciatic nerve actually goes through the piriformis, and that is phenomenally rare. And this would be something that you're born with. So if a doctor says, oh, yes, that's the problem, but you've been an athlete, you've had tons of activities, and you never had a symptom and you're in your 30s or 40s, I guarantee you that is not the symptom because this would be something that you're born with. But that sciatic nerve is absolutely, and this is a nerve that runs down the back of your leg. It's huge. It's like the size of your index finger in diameter, and it feels exactly like a telephone cord. You could actually pick up a cadaver body by grabbing that sciatic nerve. It's that tough. But now this tough nerve goes close to that piriformis. So if you have pelvic instability, and that means the hip isn't working correctly, then that muscle is going to tighten up in order to stabilize that pelvis. Now, the pelvic muscles, it, it, then this is the pelvic floor. You may have heard of the coccyx muscle. Well, the coccyx muscle is, is stuck in this like, like trampoline. Now, the trampoline, and this is the pelvic floor, you've got a couple of openings. You've got the rectum, okay, um, and then you've got either the vaginal area or the penis area that comes out of there, the, the, and this is all the male and female organs. So you've got a couple of openings in this area. Um, but in this suspension, and this is where we're going to talk about Kegel exercises and problems with the pelvis, because anybody that has a hip issue is going to have, uh, could have secondary pelvic issues. So just know that you have the pelvic floor where all these um, muscles are, and it's just like a trampoline. Now, problems with the pelvis, and again, if you just have been diagnosed with hip issues, what if you still, if, if you have a, a hip that's altered, but you also have bladder and bowel control, sexual dysfunction, leg pain, walking pain, foot pain, um, uh, pelvic problems from prolonged prolong, prolong sitting, um, low back pain, medications, antacids, all of these things can indicate that the pelvis is unstable and you're taking a medication to alter that. Um, it, because all of these things can damage that pelvis. So it's not just pelvic instability. If you have, and, and think of this in reverse. So let's say you have sexual dysfunction, bowel and bladder control, um, pain when sitting, 
Should you check the pelvis? Absolutely. So the pelvis houses half that autonomic nervous system. Now, problems from the pelvis can develop from sitting, but also pregnancy, certain medications, lack of movement. Okay, now um, I'm going to teach you how to do a Kegel. But now if you have compromised nerve supply in that low back supplying that pelvic floor, uh, you're going to have some challenges. Okay, so if you have normal pelvic function, uh, this is going to be a great exercise. Now, this is for women and men. Both need kegels. And the more you use a muscle, the better control you get it. And male and female kegels, you're looking at better urine control. It can control premature ejaculation in males, increase sensitization, improve control, stimulate blood flow. You could improve erections, makes multiple orgasms possible. So this, I'm telling you, the Kegel exercises are fantastic. You know, make sure that you get low back check for subluxations or nerve pressure. But what you're going to do, you're going to, it's it's almost like when, when you're urinating, to stop the flow of urine, you've got to tighten up some muscles. Those muscles are actually the pelvic floor, and that's the Kegel exercise. So we're going to do it together. Okay, and you can even do this when you're driving. You're going to tighten up those muscles, the same muscles that you would tighten up if you're going to stop your urine flow. And you're going to hold it for five seconds. So ready? On three. One, two, three. Tighten up. One, two, three, four, five. Relax. And then tighten up again. One, two, three, four, five. Then relax. Okay? And do that at least 10 times, at least five times a day. And you're going to de develop better urine control. I mean, just fantastic. Now, if the pelvis and hip issue has been uh, damaged for a long period of time, you're going to need to stabilize that pelvis. And this is where a trochanter su support comes in. So this is just a small belt. I get it from Mayer's Distributing, and it only costs it's like 10 bucks. Um, but that is what's going to stabilize your pelvis when you're um, when you're walking, standing, moving, or exercising. Um, what's a trip is a lot of people will say this when they're coming from the chiropractor. Oh, gee, that adjustment felt great, but by the time I got back home, I started to hurt again. Now, it usually takes about three to six weeks to stabilize a pelvis. And so that's why that um, trochanter sport is so invaluable. Also, you can sit like this. Um, think of the, the cowboys back in the Wild West, how you could sit with your legs out wide in the back of the chair um, was w right where your chest is. You know, they come in, grab that chair, turn it around, and sit with their legs out wide. Well, that's going to feel good because it's going to approximate the pelvis and take a lot of the stress off. So that's ideal. Now, you may have been told that you have a psoas muscle problem well, or, or a TFL problem or a hip flexor problem. Okay, those muscles literally are going to tighten up if there's a problem. So it's never the muscles, and I'm talking 99.9% .9 of the time. You can work on the muscles and have some relief, but you're not going to actually fix the problem. So if someone needs to do a psoas muscle release, what controls that muscle? It attaches on the vertebrae in the spine. Uh, 
So if you look at where that attaches and what it works at, what it does, then you're going to find the true source of the problem. And now I'm going to bring up a number of different cases. And I'm going to show you before and after x-rays. And you're going to see something unusual. And this is huge. Because when a doctor looks at a hip that shows some distortion, and they say, oh, it's bone on bone. Uh, really, is it bone on bone? Okay. Uh, or is has the hip been malformed and the body is literally um, showing that there's um, an issue. Let me let me put it this way. So let's say that you're uh, working on on a hip joint, okay, and and this hip looks distorted because you're used to seeing a round hip going into a round socket. Well, I'm going to show you um, a number of different X-rays that the hip was never, ever in the correct position. And a lot of people, I'm sure super athletes are going to have perfectly formed hips, but for regular Joes, that hip sometimes can form abnormally. And that abnormal formation uh, can cause the hip to um, distort. Okay, and What I mean is if you're looking at a hip joint that has got... Um, oh, let's say not a round socket, but let's say you've got a lipping and spurring on it. I'm going to bring those up too. That hip has literally laid down the bone to a model for a malformed hip. So this would be something that's you know, been with the person for forever. So it's not really the problem, even though it doesn't look normal. Okay, and that's, that, that is absolutely the key. It's just because it's distorted does not mean that it's a problem. And, and so that's why you may have a distorted hip. It may look not normal, according to your doctor, but it also um, uh, is uh, hugely important to understand that. And I'm going to show you how to look at the x-ray. Now, what can you do? First, trochanter support can stabilize that area. Then you've got to stretch your calf. And this is hugely important to gait. Now, we give a little block of a 4x4 four four to put your ball of your foot up on and stretch your knee. Now, you don't want to stand on that knee uh, or stand on the toe on the stair and use that strength. We want a passive stretch of that so we can get the soleus pump, the pump in the back of the leg, to work correctly. Now, once you've stabilized the pelvis, and this means that you have a trochanter support on, some kind of belt that will hold that pelvis together, then you need to weight exercise. And this means you're standing on a little uh, block, like a little block of wood would work fine, um, but you just dangle your leg. So, so you put a great weight on the affected leg, and it could be 10 pounds, it could be 20 pounds, but you want to pull that joint apart because the goal of regenerating a knee or a hip, or any joint in the body, is you've got to create a negative pressure on there so the body will start to um, regenerate that area. And so think of this. If you've got a hip joint that's compressed, um, wouldn't it make sense to decompress that? I know you're thinking, duh. Well, that it is duh. 
And now you don't want to be swinging your leg really far back and really far front. So when you're standing, and let's say it's a left leg, you put on your, you know, 150 pounds or less, you're going to put a 10-pound ankle weight on the left leg. You're going to stand on a little elevation like a stair or a block with the right leg, put the trochanter support on, and then you're going to dangle your leg. So the toes of the left foot are going to be level with the heel of the right. Then you swing it forward, then the toes of the right foot are going to be level with the heel on the left. So just like a pendulum. Now, this is a ligamentous exercise. That means it's based for ligaments, and that's all we want to do. We want to strengthen those ligaments, in, and that's where... Um, we also want to create a local inflammatory response, which, again, hugely important in getting that body to regenerate the tissue. So we just got to stimulate it. Now, when you're sitting, we've got to restore nerve supply to it. Now, if you have the standard liter bottle of water, it has a diameter of around four inches. We use a small foam piece to also use that uh, to force it. But when you're sitting, you're flattening out the disc in the low back. So when you sit, you got this four-inch diameter, either water bottle or foam piece. Sit up nice and straight. The bottom of your elbow is the bottom of the bottle or the bottom of the foam piece. So this means the apex, that center of that, that round, either water bottle or foam piece that you're going to use, you could even use a rolled-up towel. That center of that is located right at the, at the junction of the rib cage and low back. It's called the thoracolumbar junction. Now, when you're sitting with this, you want it back there for no more than 20 minutes. Then you take it out for 10 minutes. So 20 minutes in, 10 minutes out. 20 minutes in, 10 minutes out. So this, you're doing that, that all the time. So you turn sitting into therapy. And this is going to restore the nerve supply to that hip and also correct the problems. Now, never, ever, ever, and this is common, a lot of uh, doctors that aren't familiar with biomechanics will suggest this, never lay on your back, um, flat on your back with your legs up on a chair. What that does, that will feel really, really good. It will open up the holes where the nerves come out in the back. It's going to feel fantastically well, but it reverses the discs. The discs have a wedging where they're narrow at the back, wide at the front. When you're laying in this position, that actually damages that and reverses the discs. Now, another exercise you can do, so you've got the sitting exercise with the water bottle. Um, you Ideally, you're getting the the hip adjusted, the calf adjusted, the knee adjusted, the foot adjusted, the lumbar adjusted, the whole torso adjusted. Because when I go over and show the x-rays tonight, it's going to be apparent that you're going to look at the whole body. Another fantastic exercise is the cobra. Now, there's a yoga move cobra where you're laying on your tummy and you're going to use the strength of the arms to push your chest off the ground. But this is modified. Once the edge of your pelvis starts to come up, that's when you stop. So you're just isolating the lumbar spine. So you just do that distraction, push up, and then go back down. Then push up and go back down. Now, if you have had um, x-rays and you're under the care of a chiropractor, fantastic. No issues with this. 
if you've done this, um, the first one, there's a little pain. The second one, there's more pain. The third push-up, there's even more pain. you got to stop because that could be a dissequestration. And you really need to have a doctor that understands biomechanics, that understands what pre- and post-x-rays look like, to actually give you advice to say, yeah, this is beneficial or this is harmful. Also, um, push-up exercises on the ball, fantastic. Pelvic exercises, again, absolutely fantastic exercises. It's literally movement is the key. Um, and then I'm going to bring up a couple of more uh, case studies so I can show you what um, hips look like uh, before, what hips look like after. And, and I'm talking regeneration. So know that your joints are alive. They literally are alive. If you um, move them and use them, they can get better. It's, it's that simple, that clear, that direct. Um, and tonight, uh, so um, <laughs> here's things to not do. No hip rehab without correcting the foot and calf biomechanics. So remember, it's a hip symptom with an entire biomechanic problem. No hip rehab without lumbar and pelvic corrections. Uh, no ice therapy on chronic hip injuries. It will feel good, but it will delay the healing. What ideally you're doing is putting moist heat on there to open up that, that joint. Then, um, solutions for hips. Okay, get a full set of x-rays, and I'm talking cervical, thoracic, lumbar. Once the pelvis and lumbar is being restored, start the hip exercises. Because if not, it's almost like you have a tourniquet on that, and you're doing exercises, so it might not be as effective. You've got to balance the foot and calf exercises with the lumbar and pelvic restoration exercises. Get the proper supplements and nutrition, eliminate prescriptions that are toxic to tissue regeneration, and get some deep sleep so your body can regenerate. And I don't want you in pain, so look at the things you can do. Green vegetable juice, turmeric, blueberries, pineapple, papaya, all of these things have anti-inflammatory properties. You will get better. Your body is always in the state of regeneration. This is Dr. John Bergman, your health advocate. God bless you, and I love you.